Hey everyone, welcome to the Titan Leader Talk. I'm Madison Sheen, your host from the Titan Leader team. Titan Leader provides coaches and athletes with unprecedented access to elite leadership development programming. Working with the most elite in athletics, Titan Leader Talk is bringing you leadership development like never before. This is so much more than just X's and O's. Using a combination of talks with elite coaches and athletes, we are dedicated to making sure that every coach and every athlete becomes elite in every single way of the game. This is episode one of the Titan Leader Talk, and we are coming to you from Columbus, Ohio, home of the Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm excited for our next guest today. Not only is he one of the most elite football coaches in history, but also a great mentor of mine that I've had the opportunity to work with for a few years now. Former head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, Coach Urban Meyer, having a track record of the third most winningest coach in NCAA history, multiple conference championships, three national championships, and today with him, we have the opportunity to dive deep into developing an elite culture, developing elite teams, and knowing what it takes to win championships. This is kind of something that always pops out at me whenever I think of some of the projects we've worked on and things we've done is that average leaders have quotes, good leaders have a plan, but exceptional leaders have systems. And one of the biggest systems that are important for high school coaches to have and for athletes to be able to have a part of the programs they're in are leadership development programs. Uh, so what does a leadership development program look like to you, coach? How do you put them together? What are some of the projects you've been working on for leadership development? Well, Madison, uh, obviously we work together on this. So uh, when I was a young coach starting out and I would, it would not be uncommon for me to drive four or five, six hours, go listen to Joe Paterno's, Bobby Bowden's, and Tom Osborne's. And, and I just was a, a huge, I was a huge fan of John Wooden, uh, uh, ex-basketball coach at uh, UCLA and read a lot of his books. So it was something, even to this date, I just can't get enough of it. Uh, however, uh, once I became a head coach, I just really was never trained in the systematic way of approaching leadership. And I met a guy named Tim Kite my first year here at Ohio State. And I would all, there's not a coach or uh, not a coach out there that doesn't believe in leadership. I, I've never heard that. And the problem is a lot of times that's arguably the most misunderstood word uh, in the coaching profession, in a lot of professions, in corporate America. Uh, but corporate America spends billions of dollars on leadership development. College athletics, back when I first started, uh, spent zero. You know, you never, you know, it was, it was about a quote. It was about a speaker would come in. It was about a, you know, a saying, have them read an article, have them read a book. And I, I did the same thing back when I became head coach in 2001. Uh, I started leadership committee because I know I seen that and it worked and I, I liked it. But, you know, we would have, uh, it was my way of having a conversation with the team, but I never really taught them anything. You know, I, I thought I was, but. You know, I just, and every year I'd have my uh, set of speakers would come in. I never, tr you know, it was simply a, a speaker would come in, give a message and leave. Um, I've seen books of quotes. I've seen people spend a lot of time on what quotes am I going to put in the weight room? And what really hit me one time, I was in this, uh, in this facility and they, it is arguably a four to $5,000 beautiful thing on the wall that talked about Solomon's seven principles of leadership, I believe it was. And, 
And I remember staring at it going, that's a lot of information here. And I just asked a couple of flavors in the facility what, what their thoughts were. And they looked at me like I had, like, I had no idea what I was talking about. They, it, they had it on a wall, but it was not part of their DNA. And so I know this is a long-winded answer to your question, but that's when we made a decision that we're going to treat this like we do an offensive system, like a defensive system, like special teams. You don't just – I'm not going to have someone come in and talk about offense to our team. Why would I do that? That would simply confuse our players. We have a system. Now they can come in and talk about our system, or I can actually tell them what to say. But if you believe that's serious about leadership, what's your system? What, what, what are your – What's part of your DNA of your team? If you don't have one, I strongly recommend you get one. The first, I don't know, 10 years, eight years of my head coaching career, I really didn't have a system. I had, I believed in it, and we would have meetings. Like I said, we had speakers. I'd have them read. I mean, we had great conversations, you know, to a degree. We won a lot of games, and but I never really took it to the degree that we took at Ohio State, where we have created, and now we created for the entire athletic department, a systematized way of teaching leadership. It's a curriculum. It's it's a, uh, we work very hard on what we're going to teach them. It's it's very systematic. It's not just grabbing things and holding on to it. It's things that I believe very strongly in. Lieutenant Colonel Ch Charles Buchanan, you know Madison and Kaylee, who are student athletes that helped us with this. And so I'm proud to say that we have 150 plus captains of all different sports all men's and women's sports at Ohio State, we meet once, once a month in a very systematized way of teaching leadership. So that's, that's to me what a leadership program is. And that's a challenge. If you're listening right now and you're a coach, would you teach an offensive system without uh, or, or, or just talk offensive football with, you know, abstract ideas? Of course not, or it would look exactly like that. So the challenge I have for you is, and, and I love saying this, is that average leaders use quotes and, articles and speakers good leaders have a plan elite leaders have a system and i encourage you to have a system so if you're a high school coach and you're developing these systems and putting these systems into place into your team like what does that look like what are some of the what are the things you do for your assistant coaches to reach out to them and help make sure everyone's on the same page to put this program together not only for your team captains but for your team leaders and well, just athletes well, sure. I, I, and I'm just, once again, this is just one man's opinion. And, and I think the number one, uh, first of all, you had to let, I, we, Tim and I actually came up with a definition of leadership, and this is really going to help us here. So the old version of a leadership quote that I actually made up many, when I first started uh, being a head coach, and it was, you set a standard and all live up to the standard. And I call that the 1970 version. That's when, you know, when your father said, do this, your mom said, do this, you did it. When your teacher said something, you did it. It was out of fear. It was out of respect. Um, you know, leaders set a standard and demanded. We're in a much different time. You don't demand. It's hard to demand much without that person trusting you. So we changed the new version of the definite or new leadership definition is a leader must earn trust with great clarity, uh, set standards, and then equip and inspire those to live up to standards. So when you're putting together your system, once again, one man's very strong opinion is you pick the core elements of leadership that you want to be, and it can't be 20 of them. It can't be 10 of them. I have three, and there's two that we hit every year, and I always pick one other one. And the number one is the R factor, which is uh, we call it a simple system for 
uh, elite decision making, and that's uh, it's focus three. It's it's the R factor. E plus R equals O. Above the line, below the line, and then uh, the second one is the brotherhood of trust. And you know you you can't. It'd be hard to lead someone out of a room unless they trust you nowadays. And trust is earned. It's not given. Trust is very hard to get and very easy to lose. And I think uh, you know that's something we teach our coaches. That's something we teach our players. It's very detailed, very deep on how to earn trust. And uh, so that's just my recommendation on how to put together a program. Thanks, Coach. So when we're talking about these programs and putting them together, one of the things that we did with uh, the program at Ohio State, the program at West Point, was set up this system and decide to put content into those systems that are going to help shape team captains and team leaders. Uh, how did you start coming up with some of that content that you know every team captain needs this and how does a high school coach decide what's most important for their team? Well, this, this goes way back. This goes, that's years and years. And, you know, there's things I have been good at, other things I haven't. One thing I've been very good at is that keeping record of situations, of teams, of individuals, and whether it be an offensive, special teams, defense, would be hiring a coach or leadership opportunities. When you see something where, you know, how do we react to these different situations? And, and so uh, I just over the years have been very intrigued by uh, different, you know, whether it be topics. And as you know, Matt, because you've been with me, is that um, I probably have, you know, 50 to 75 topics that I can teach that I've used that I've always had with me. Now that I have an iPad, I have easy access to all this. I used to have to actually carry it in my briefcase, you know, in the middle of the folder. And I would just be a bunch of papers and all that. I, a lot of times on a plane, I would just read and look and say, this is going to be a great time to talk to my team about this. So there's multitude of topics that, and every team I call, I, I say this all the time, every team's a living uh, organism. It, it changes. It's, you know, what, what leader, the, what leadership development, what, what are you going to use this week? What are you going to use next week? What, well, my answer is always, what kind of team do you have? So we have two that are non-negotiables. That's the R factor uh, about decision-making. And the second one is brotherhood of trust. Other than that, I have a whole, uh, that I teach during training camp, that I teach during the summer, that I teach when I, when I feel I need it with this team. If I have a very immature team, I have a whole set of things I can teach them if I have a very mature team. So I, I encourage leaders or, you know, this, this is all stuff you should start when you're very, very young. If you're not, it's never too late. Just grab as much information about your previous experiences and how you would handle it now. What leadership uh, uh strategies would you use for example you know I, from discipline to uh you know uh you lose a game you know you get a tough loss and how do you get them back or you have an overconfident team or you know obviously there's multitudes of topics awesome thanks coach so kind of one of the things that you mentioned there is that you've always got your ipad with you you're always looking to learn more about leadership and be able to send that out to your athletes. And that's part of why we've developed this Titan Leader app. So as a coach, how could you start implementing something like the Titan Leader app onto your team to be able to get that daily leadership challenges and practices, as well as being able to goal set with your team and things like that? How would you bring on board something like that into your program? Well, I, I 
I agree with you. I think this leadership app that uh, you work, you guys work so hard on, and I've watched you work at it, and I think it within you know within time this will be a, a national uh, opportunity because there when I when I saw that there was an app uh, out there that teaches you how to sleep and you know was it called Calm? Yes. I thought, my goodness, well, give me a give us give us some substance of leadership, some something that a coach when I was a young coach. And now I'm even not a young coach, but I, I still, I look at it all the time. I saw you had Coach Fickle on you. And as a coach, you can just say, pick, you know, pick your core. I can't, I got to go back to that because what is your core? What's your fundamental philosophy of leadership training? Once again, you can't have a hundred of them. You can't have 50 of them. You can have those topics off to the side that you always reach in and go, you know, if you need them for that particular team. But I really believe on things like, you know, decision-making, how you respond to events, that's a that's a uh, objective truth. You have to know how to do that. When you're an older 55, 56-year-old, you need to do it. When you're 20, can you imagine how many ease you have, uh, events you have in your life. You have to learn how to respond to them. And I'm telling you, uh, today's day and age, if you can't teach trust to your coaches, to your staff, and to yourself how to get people to trust you, uh, regardless what uh, – where you want to go, step two, step three, step four, it's not going to work. Trust is the foundation of leadership. And then I would pick, like I said, pick different, you know, just as you're watching this leadership app, as you're reading a book, as you're watching uh, a movie and something pops in your head, always have your iPad or notebook handy and take notes on it. Do some reach on research on it. Call some friends, colleagues like I've done for 20 years. Say, hey, let's talk about how we'd handle this situation. I think that's a great entryway into kind of the next thing that we want to talk about. You hit there the difference between uh, core values and your concept values. And when you're developing leadership development programs, how do your core values impact those systems that you're trying to build out? Well, I speak on this uh, all the time now because we live in a, an age of political correctness. We live in an age of narrative. We live in an age where at times, if you give your personal opinion, you're looked uh, frowned upon. Uh, if mob rules, if uh, this is the way your people tell you this is the way you're supposed to think, which is, which is absolute nonsense. God gave you your heart. God gave you mind. Use them both. And how do you do that in solitude by yourself? You know, what do you, core is Latin for heart. Concept is in your head. Concept is driven by uh, environment, by social media by who's the loudest person in the room, by, uh, like I said, mob rule, by political correctness, by subjective truths. That's, that's concept values or concept beliefs. Core is Latin for heart. That's what you believe. And I've seen too many young people. I've witnessed it with my own children. I see it in classrooms all the time. Uh, actually being on a campus for, uh, you know, 30 some years and just seeing how the evolution of this, you're, you're told how you're supposed to think. That's nonsense. You're personally responsible for everything you do. Uh, it's called personal responsibility. It's up to you. It's not up to someone else. It's up to you. We all need help, but at the end of the day, you're responsible for you. So your core is about you. What do you believe in? And a value drives behavior. So when you say, what are your values? A concept value might say, for example, that uh, a certain drug, make it legal. So it's, it's okay. And I, I guess that's a whole political commentary that we don't need to get into, but which I'd be glad to. Uh, but uh, that, that's a subjective truth. That, that, that's, that's not an objective truth. That, that's not the way it is. That's not science. That's not history. So when you start talking about core, 
it's got to be a, a core has got to be an objective truth. It's got to be time tested. It's got to, for example, a core value. You work really good. You worked really, really hard at something. You're going to get really good at it and you're going to advance in your career. To me, that's a, that's not to me. That's a core value. That's, that's, uh, that's an absolute truth. That's a objective truth. And that should be your core. If you play harder than your opponent, you're going to win. To me, that's a core. That's a core value. That's uh, that's something that that that's not subjective. That's that's the test of time. So uh, that's an example of core. A concept uh, value is that uh, you know I, I have a hard time thinking about it right now. You caught me off guard with this a little bit. But a concept value is once again, it's it's driven by narrative. It's driven by political correctness. It's driven by mob rule. It doesn't. Truth really doesn't matter. And uh, I see that a lot. I know we all, if you're listening, see it a lot. Uh, and it's very alarming for, uh, I like to encourage core beliefs and core values. A core belief versus a subjective belief or a concept belief. A belief is what you hold dear, what you hold to be a truth. And uh, a concept is, like I said, driven by political correctness, etc. When you see it all the time. A core belief is something that holds you hold to your heart that you believe to be that you know because of your faith because of your uh, experience because of your family if you come from a good family uh, because of science because of history that's that's a truth so core values and core beliefs versus concept value and concept beliefs a leader must develop his or her his or her core values and beliefs and that's got to be front and center uh, and very uh, transparent to who you're leading so when you talk about leading teams, what were the core values of Ohio State football while you were there, and how did that show out on the field? Well, we can talk about there's core values, and that drives behavior. We'll get to that in a minute. We also talk about core values of how we uh, – or, or the core values or the culture of our program. And that's a great segue to get into that. So your culture, which is basically your core values, which drives – you know, values drive your behavior. So something that I worked on for many, many years is I always, um, I had a vision of a team. If I ever got the opportunity to be a head coach, because I've been in several different programs as an assistant, I wanted, because my core value, my core belief is if you play harder than your opponent, you'll win. And really that's it. Uh, I don't want to hear the ball bounce their way. I don't want to hear that, uh, you know, the referee screwed us. I don't want to hear that. That's, that's, that's all nonsense. At the end of the day, if you play harder than your opponent, you'll win. And so when we start talking about core values or our culture at Ohio State, number one, Roman numeral number one, was relentless effort. And that uh, the sound bites we used are four to six A to B plus two, four to six seconds is the length of a play. A to B, there's starting point A, there's a finish point B. And plus two, I ask you to go 10, go 12. You hear the whistle blow, gives me two more steps. It's just the, the idea of giving a little bit more than, uh, don't, don't always be trying to pull up finish i wanted the fastest team in america i wanted players to play fearless and i didn't want the uh, i don't want our coaches to paralyze these wonderful athletes by making them think too much don't be scared about making mistakes you will make mistakes however you have to believe the hardest playing team will win so that's the first core value or number one of our culture number two was i want people to embrace discomfort greatness is hard uh embrace it and this might not be for you. There might be for people that you're not real interested in playing for Ohio State. It's a little too hard. It's the top of the top of the top. And greatness is, 
for someone who says greatness is easy, they've never been there. If you've been on a national championship team, a, a state championship team, if you've been around the elite, it's hard and embrace it. And that might not be, like I said, that might be the uh, uh, conceptual, well, everybody's a group hug all the time. No, you know what? To be great, it's going to be miserable at times. And you got to learn to fight through it. You got to be transparent with those you lead that this is going to be awful at times. Guess, guess what? Awful. Uh, it, you have to go through the pain of discomfort and embrace that discomfort to become great. That's why there's very few great ones out there. And then a final piece of the, uh, the core values or culture is the strongest form of motivation is love and ownership. And it's known as, uh, it's really inspiration. There's a big difference between motivation and inspiration. Motivation is non-sustainable. It works. It's very powerful. Love, fear, and hate are different forms of motivation. I always wanted the inspired team. And the inspired team, is, it's transformational. It's superhuman. It gets people to do things, the unthinkable things, like our United States men and women who serve our country do, like, like elite champions do, like the unselflessness that's involved in a championship team. Why do you do that? It's, it's miserable. It's awful. It doesn't give me uh, uh, self-glory. It doesn't give me front, day, front page of the newspaper. You know why I do it? Because I own this team and I love this team and I love my teammates and I'm going to do it. So th that's just the core beliefs I have in uh, building the ultimate team. I think that's a great opportunity to go into one of my favorite topics that you and I have ever had conversations about, and that's the power of the unit and the sm uh, concept of small unit cohesion uh, can you talk a little bit about that and how you implemented that on your teams? Yeah, that was a research that Tim Kite and I actually did, and it was verified uh, uh, once I became very close to Lieutenant uh, Colonel Charles Buchanan and, and just studying. Uh, my father was in the Army and my sister was in the Air Force, and the uh, immense respect I have for the military. I've studied them all the time and read books. And it actually I came across, it's called, the actual article is called Small Unit Cohesion. And the whole thing is how do you get – the, the, the unthinkable for a human being to do is shoot that gun in, in combat. And so how do you get a soldier to fight? You know, is it for love of country? When you, when you, the surveys came back and the research done in the United States military, that was a very low number of people that actually pulled the trigger for love of country, uh, like uh, under 20%. Maybe it's for survival. You kill or be killed. You're in a situation where, and astonishingly, it was uh, a 30, I want to say 35% survey came back that they would actually pull a trigger in that kind of situation. However, for love of family or love of unit, it was 100%. You know, what, what person or what a family would not do that to protect their family? So the military training, and it's called small unit cohesion, and that's usually eight to 12 people, and you start getting big, gigantic numbers, you can't, you know, not everybody can get that close. So I would break the football team up into nine units. You know, it's a quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and we call it a small unit cohesion. And everybody took great pride. And, you know, the one uh, uh, incredible quote that sits on our uh, uh, team room is, why does a true soldier fight? It's not for the hatred of those in front of them. It's for the love of those behind them. And that's, it's, love, it's love of unit. What would, what would a man or woman be do, willing to do to protect their family or their unit? According to survey and, and the way we're made, anything. And uh, that was the whole principle behind building the ultimate team. So we always talk about having this breakdown of elite teams and like what goes into an elite team. So you're talking about having all these small units. 
broken down throughout your program, whether it's quarterbacks and position groups and such, what goes into building elite teams and elite uh, groups to be able to have small unit cohesion on your team? That's a great question, Madison. And, and what, something you do have to be careful of that it's not a bunch of independent contractors. When you're hired at Ohio State, the assistant coach, you know, I would actually go in the room and, and we'd have conversation about what I want around that facility. Uh, for example, our core values, our core beliefs are in the, in the room. Our plan to win is in the room. Our culture is in the room. And I want it constantly, you know, constant messaging. You know, I, I don't want to hire a coach that comes from, like, say, when I hired Larry Johnson from Penn State. He brings in, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. I mean, that's, that's fine. But the alignment and transparency within an organization has to be, has to be there. So when you start talking about building that elite team and uh, uh, what you're teaching the units is it comes from the head coach. That's his vision. That's his core values, core beliefs, and culture. And it's taught through the unit leaders. The team's too big in football. When you have 105, 120 players, Team meetings are not when this is done. That's not small unit cohesion. So you teach the coaches, and the coaches take it to the room. And I'm very was very involved. And the older I got, so involved, I wanted to make sure I knew exactly uh, what was being said, what was being taught. It was very rare, if ever, when I have a speaker come speak to our team. You know, if I did that, it was more of a comedian or magician, or we would have fun. It was not. We're not going to teach them another element of leadership. I'm not doing that. I had plenty of people. Hey, do you want to have Jim Brown, all these great athletes and great, you know, I might have them come talk to the team, but it's not going to be about leadership training because we already teach that. We have a system. So I'd be very cautious about, you know, I, I, once again, this is all, this is head coach driven because when it doesn't work, the head coach is the one that pays the price. This is head coach driven of your sport uh, that you, and like I said, uh, uh, I want to add this, that when you start putting in together your core values, core beliefs, and, what you want taught. Uh, I always say it's believe it, sell it, demand it. Believe it, it's got to be a truth. So if I tell you that you play harder than your, your opponent, you have to really believe that to be a truth. If you're going to push your players and push people to work that hard, it better work. Uh, number two is you have to constantly sell it by use of social media, like I said, around the facility, constantly hearing and making sure our coaches use in the same exact language. You'll hear if you walk in Ohio State today, You'll hear four to six A to B. You'll hear plus two all the time, nonstop. You'll hear competitive excellence and part of the plan to win. You'll hear love and ownership. You'll live, hear power of the unit. So it's got to be it's systematized and it's got to be aligned all the way through, all the way through. And so the, remember I said, believe it, sell it, and the last one's demand it. And at the some point when you, as the leader of your team, which if you're the boss, um, this is the way it is. I expect it. I, I respect everyone's opinion. If you can enhance our program, I want to hear it. But at the end of the day, this is what's being said to our team. Not to go, when I, I better hear, I don't want to hear strain. I don't want to hear, uh, I want to hear four to six, A to B. That's all I want to hear. I want to hear you finish. I want to hear the same terminology. And I think, I don't think, I know the way the mind works. The human spirit needs to be uh, without conflict in those kind of scenarios. When I'm in middle linebacker at Ohio State in the rivalry game on fourth down and one, I cannot be in conflict. I cannot have him one, one sound bite, don't make a mistake, you know, don't screw up, and then and the other one go as hard as you can. I want to – the culture is four to six, A to B plus two. That's who I want to – because he's heard it over and over and over again. 
So when you're talking about your team leaders and your unit leaders and assistant coach, what are your expectations of those assistant coaches controlling those units? Well, we are, you know, it was much different than when I was at Bowling Green, you know, at Ohio State. Um, it better be the best. You better be the best in America what you do. And I always tell people there's nine units on a football team. You better be, you know, try to try your hardest to be number one, but don't you be number nine. You know, every coach is held accountable for their unit academically, socially, spiritually, and obviously performance-wise on the field. That's your guys. You have three of them. Sometimes you have five of them. If you're a line coach, you have 15 of them. But don't worry about the other guy's job. And that's a big New England Patriot saying, do your job. And your job is to get your unit maximized. Because what happens in the game of football and really all athletics, if you're better than your opponent, you don't have to be at maximum capacity. If you're playing a team, and Ohio State does, we played uh, we played some teams, we just were far superior, and we usually won. If we were on point, we usually won big. What happens when the talent becomes equated, when you face your rival, when you're facing the top-ranked team, when you go to a bowl game or the Big Ten championship game, for you to win that game, you have to be nine units strong. You have to be at maximum capacity. So every one of your unit leaders are held accountable. The running backs better play their best. They better be mentally, physically, and spiritually prepared for what's getting ready to happen. And that's their responsibility. I'm going to help you with it, but that's ultimately your responsibility. And we teach that's our factor, that's brotherhood of trust, and whatever else we decide to use for leadership training. So that's that's the whole principle of when talent becomes equated, your team has to be at maximum capacity, and all units have to be operating on, on, on like I said, full capacity. So this past week, we've had the opportunity to talk to an entire group of champions, and we've been kind of calling this week the Champions Week. Uh, so once you become a champion, you've won three national championships. How do you stay at the top? How do you continue to have an elite edge over everybody else once you've reached the top? Oh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the most difficult things. And um, when you see – I actually had a long conversation with Joe Madden after the Chicago – he's the manager of the Cubs – when they won the 2016 World Series, and and he actually did a, a project, and you know statistically it's it's borderline impossible. That's why you just don't see repeat Super Bowl champions very often, repeat Major League or NCAA football champions or basketball or or women's softball. It's just it's so hard. The team dynamics change, and as Lou Holtz, one of my mentors, once said, building takes energy, and you know it's it's. It's great. It's, it, it makes you wake up in the morning when you're building something, and passion, enthusiasm. Uh, when you're climbing the hill, once you reach the top of the hill, uh, maintaining it is, is exhausting. And uh, now you're the focus of all the targets. You know, you're up there on top. Everybody's focused on you. Uh, I don't have a great answer for that. You know, I think that's uh, when you look at the New England Patriots, and I think Alabama, I think Coach Saban's done an excellent job at that. But to maintain, we won it in 2014, and I think we could have won it again in 15, and we didn't do it. We had a lot of the same players. Um, and I've shared this conversation with many, many coaches, uh, colleagues of mine, friends, and people change, coaches change, you change. And uh, you just remember the, you know, the word that I always think of when I think about uh, uh, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are uh, fundamentals, and he's not gonna lower the standards. So fundamentals are going to be the key to everything that the Patriots do, and they're never going to lower their standards, regardless of who you are. 
You know, they lost their quarterback. This is going to be interesting to watch. Uh, obviously, the greatest quarterback of all time. But you, you, I know one thing, the Patriots aren't going to lower their standards. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Titan Leader Talk with Coach Urban Meyer. Be sure to download the Titan Leader app from the App Store for daily leadership updates. Thank you for allowing us to lead you on this journey of becoming an elite leader. I'm Madison Sheehan, and this is the Titan Leader Talk.